Hi, this is Dan Calandrello from Seton Hall. You're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Tune in. They're great guys. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. And man, we've got a special one for you. Mikey, we're always trying to come up with some sort of new idea, new content, and I think we've got one this week. Uh, you're not even going to ask me how I'm doing today? You're just going to roll right into your excitement? We spend way too much time talking off the show, so I know how you're doing this week. It's not all that important right now. I was going to tell you that I couldn't even handle three beers last night. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> Son's birthday party, a little movie in the backyard, watching the new Marvel movie Black Widow, and crack open a couple cold ones, and I'm, I'm hurt this morning, Tommy. Come on, get me going here. But most importantly, how did your son do on the three beers yesterday? Oh, stop it. Stop it. I, I, I would get in a lot of trouble with the wife on that one. Don't, don't even go there. <laughs> For those who are wondering, it's Mikey's boy's ninth birthday. So happy birthday to Josh. All right. But no, no, I, I, as always, I feel like we say this at, uh, over and over again. How can you not be excited? We, we got, once again, three former pirates coming back on the show to do a special episode. We've been kind of talking about this one for about a year or two about how we can put this together and, and make it special. And I, I think it's going to be. So you got Dan Dunn, Tommy Brown, and Danny Calandrillo to come back on the show and talk about that 1981 game at the Brendan Byrne Arena, back, as they called it back then, as they were just kind of christening the building, as they pulled off this massive upset against the Houston Cougars, who eventually goes on to, uh, to make it to like three straight or three out of four Final Four appearances. I mean, big win for the Pirates. We want to look back, go through some of the clips, get their takes on it. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, so just to give a little background, a few years ago, I actually got my hands on game footage of what Mike just talked about. December 4th, 1981, Seton Hall plays Houston, I, I believe, the first weekend that the Brendan Bernarita had college basketball. So we've been trying to toss out different ways of doing some sort of special project and this is what we came up with. And luckily, the three guys you just mentioned said they'd come on and give us their perspective from the game. Yeah, so we're going to show them some of the clips. Uh, you guys are going to see a little bit on YouTube as Tom does his uh, post-production editing. But you know, the guys are going to watch the clip. We're going to kind of sit back and kind of listen to the, the broadcast, take in their initial feedback. And then we're kind of going to run with some questions uh, as we break down the game flow from start to finish. It's a really exciting game that ultimately finishes in overtime with Calandrillo hitting one of his many buzzer beaters that year. So, uh, as always, I'm excited. Well, what was really interesting was this was like in the early days at ESPN where they didn't have a whole lot of viewership yet. 
and this was a way that they got content on. You know, back in the day, they were showing Australian rules football on week on weekend mornings, and and basically anything that they could get hands on. But this is like a hidden gem. I don't know, man. I'm excited about this. Tom, my Nintendo had better graphics than the <laughs> opening segment for what ESPN put on this film. It was it was some funny stuff. Special effects weren't what they were. And you know what's crazy? They didn't have, it wasn't introduced yet till a couple of decades later, I think. But that corner score that continuously stayed on the bottom of the screen oh, yeah, no to clue. let you know what part of the game it was. Oh, you, yeah, no you clue could, what was going on. You, you can turn on the left. game and 10, no. minutes, 10 minutes into it, you're still like, what part of the game is this? So. It was the announcer's responsibility to keep you constantly informed as to what was going on with that score. Occasionally it would pop up. Occasionally they tell you how much time is left. Uh, it, it, was, it was type of stuff. All right, well, without any further ado, let's bring the guys on. They were all former members of the 1981-82 Seton Hall Pirates basketball team. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Tom Brown, Dan Dunn, and Danny Calandrillo. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having, thanks for having us. No, no, our, our pleasure. Once again, thank you guys for joining us and taking some time out of your day. All right, let's go ahead and set the stage for the audience. We have, we have a classic game that we're breaking down today and, and taking a look back at. The date is December 4th, 1981. Seton Hall comes out victorious 87 to 85 over the Houston Cougars in overtime in front of a crowd of 10,648 at the Brendan Byrne Arena. It was an historical classic Houston team that took the floor that day, but I don't think they knew it yet. You know, the previous year, they get knocked out of the NCAA tournament in the first round by 18 versus Villanova. What they brought to the table and what they ended up building going forward was a phenomenal roster. They had SWAC player of the year from 1980-81, Rob Williams. He was unfortunately out for that game. The team would go on to make their first of three consecutive Final Four runs. That year, they beat Boston College in the Elite Eight and lost to number one North Carolina in the Final Four. That team boasted five future NBA players on that roster. Williams, Elijah Wan, but also Clyde Drexler, Larry Mishaw, Michael Young, and they also had a young talent named Benny Anders. This was a loaded roster for Houston. So you guys had a tall order in front of you that day, and you guys take the, the court for the new Brendan Byrne Arena at the Meadowlands, but it was only the second time that you guys had played in that arena. Normally, all the games that you guys had played were back at Walsh Gym. So tell me what the atmosphere was like that day compared to the smaller confines on campus at Walsh. Actually, it was the first game we played at Brendan Byrne Arena because it was the, uh, the the Jersey Classic. It was an opening, uh, like opening of the of the Brendan Byrne Arena because Rutgers had beat UCLA the game uh, the night before. Okay. And, okay. And then we came in, uh, and then we came in and played Houston. And uh, I mean, we were shooting. We had a shoot around before the game. I mean, Houston comes in. They had all their, their stars on on their pants, red red and gold stars and all this stuff. And uh, Hadi Mahan, our coach was yelling at us because we weren't doing a press break ride or something. And he's yelling at the guys coming to the Houston guys. This is what you guys want them to run, isn't it? Do you want, you want, do you want them to run this so you guys can kill us, right? And we were like, oh, geez, Hadi, Hadi, just, just embarrassing the hell out of us. We're like, can we just like, get off the court, please? But uh, it was our, our signature win because uh, Fight Slam and Jamma, what they became, that was our signature win from our era. You know, we took a lot of a lot of games on the chin at Walsh, but uh, playing the Brendan Byrne Arena, which was supposed to be state-of-the-art, was Jersey's Madison Square Garden, so to speak. 
Let me ask you guys a question. You know, uh, currently you've got a game coming up and you could get any video of any game you want of any opponent nowadays because everything's on TV. You know, back then, I don't know that everything was available. How did you guys prep for this Houston team? I mean, what was the mentality? What did you know about them coming in? Just the scouting report that we had from the coaches, I think. I don't remember having any film. Do you guys? No, no film, but I remember um, this Rob Williams guy was supposed to be really good, and we were dodging a bullet that he wasn't playing because he had a hurt knee. That, that's all I, I remember. And um, they were, they were high was talented, they were quick, they were quick, they're athletic, and they're big. Yeah, I, I gotta remember one. What I think Hardy did strategically wise was he moved Tommy and Howard McNeil as the guards, and he had me in the middle. And I thought that was a great move because he had Elijah one on the ball a seven footer and Tommy could handle the ball just as, just as well as Howard McNeil. And I was in the middle, you know, I would just get it and break the press, which we, they pressed us the whole game. Mm -hmm. So I thought from Hottie's perspective, uh, from a coach's perspective, it was a great move. Oh, their, their press was aggressive start to finish, not even just full court, but even in the half court, trying to catch you guys as soon as you kind of came across. So speaking of Hottie Mahan, we're going to go to our first clip right here and it's going to be, Dick Vitale and Fred White, the announcers for the game, starting a little intro for the game, but also bringing up some points about the coaches. So Vitale, the second game, Houston's Cougars out of the Southwest Conference, here without Rob Williams, but with a bundle of talent. Seton Hall, contrast in coaches. Guy Lewis, in his 26th year, has coached 710 ball games. Adi Mahan on the other bench, the acting coach now at Seton Hall, has been the head coach for two. Well, Guy Lewis has been through it all, the NCAA tournaments. He's been under the gun and under the pressure. But let me tell you something as we take a look at Guy right there. That guy he's coaching against tonight is a street fighter. Adi Mahan has been waiting all his life for this opportunity. He is now the head coach. It's an acting job right now. Believe me, the Seton Hall people would be wise to name him officially their head coach. So the news of Coach Raffery stepping down at the last minute before the start of the year happened. Did the players agree with Vitale's thoughts that Hottie should have been given the head coaching job since he had been with the team for 11 years? Absolutely. 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 I think he deserved to have the job. He was a great coach. He paid his dues. He, uh, Seton Hall, 11, 11 years of Coach Raftery, um, doing all the recruiting. He, he, he should have gotten the job. He should have gotten the job from the get-go. You think this was his first game that he felt that he had something to prove in terms of that then? It was an opportunity for him to show the, um, the decision makers at, at the university that he does he does know what he's doing and we were behind him and that I think he could do the job and do it well. Yeah, I agree with Tommy and Danny. I mean, uh, Hardy and I had a good special relationship like we all did and, you know, obviously with Raph also. But Hardy was more than a coach. He was a, a leader, a figure. You know, he was a brain trust of X's and O's. I mean, we that year, three guys to grades. But I think other than that, I, if that didn't happen, I think he should have got it. And I think he would have got it if that didn't happen. So, All right. So let's let's get into our second clip here. This is like the opening possession after Houston doesn't score. You guys bring the ball up. 2-3 zone right now. Almost turn it over with a bounce pass, but gets it back. Well, look at him handling 6-9. Pass down inside. The shot blocked down there. 
The block by Clyde Drexler. Seton Hall right back, and it goes. Shot good. Mike Ingram picks up the first two points of the ball game, and the Seton Hall fans are going to stop the game by throwing toilet paper all over the floor. This is a silly habit. It's a Look silly habit, and it's tradition, I think, right now, Fred. It's beginning to spread in the Big East Conference. I want to know what the heck Vitale's thinking. Who else in the Big East was throwing streamers down on the court? I mean, come on. Stop it. But here's what we don't know. As younger fans of Seton Hall, what is really the history behind the throwing of the toilet paper and streamers onto the court that started all the way back at Walsh? Well, I, I think it started uh, with, like, I want to say hotties kids, but um, <laughs> there, was like, there was, like, a lot of fraternities that, you know, I mean, here we are, little school, playing, you know, the, the cream of the crop, Georgetown, Boston College, Villanova, and everybody was good. I mean, and, you know, what's to our advantage, right? So, to be honest with you, I always tried to make the first shot. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It really was. To me, it was like anywhere we went. I mean, we went down to Kentucky, mm -hmm. yeah. and like two, two toilet papers hit the floor, and everybody's like, what the hell is that? But I, 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 if I remember, they got escorted out by the police, by the state troopers, how these kids. 24,000 people, 24,000 people pointing. It's over there, these guys. <laughs> it's the Jersey kids. What's wrong yeah. with these yeah. Jersey kids? And Billy, Billy Bob and Bubba couldn't escort them out. I thought, I thought it was coolest thing ever i'm gonna concur with that i think this is phenomenal if i'm coach willard i actually take a cut of my salary make sure everybody <laughs> at walsh has got streamers and any game at walsh that first basket they should be throwing streamers i'd take the technical foul at this point if you can't beat wagner because of one foul shot at the beginning <laughs> of the game you don't deserve to win that game so, so how long did it take before that stopped happening at the Meadowlands, I think us, my, was that was my senior year. I I think it happened every game. I mean, I don't know yeah. about the garden. It didn't happen in the garden, but at Walsh, at Brendan Byrne, it, it happened every every game. The the technical foul must have started creeping into the minds of the coaches because they started threatening that. And uh, at some point, I I didn't see that as as I became a fan growing up. So I, I don't know when the the cutoff was, but. Uh, they were alluding to the fact that that might not be a, a short-lived tradition at this point. <laughs> I, mean, I know why. I, um, I'm in touch with some of the guys we played against, and David Russell said it pissed him off because he got hit by, by, by uh, one of the rolls of toilet paper. We played St. John's at our place. Well, you guys jump out to a really quick start thanks to uh, some hot shooting from Danny, but also we've got a lot of uh, great players coming from someone who's kind of been forgotten through the times, Howard McNeil started the game at point guard and he was absolutely all over the floor. As a matter of fact, when we did a uh, interview with a former player off the record, they said that Howard McNeil was possibly the best C Hall pirate they'd ever seen. So we've got a few clips here we want to show from the beginning of the game. For Houston. Seton Hall, man-to-man -man the moment. Eric Davis challenging Calandrillo. The ball deflected by Ingram. Oh, look at the feed to Calandrillo for two. Oh, Mike Ingram. Mishaw, turnaround jump shot. Short, McNeil grabs the keep out. He's doing it all right now for Seton Hall. Poor shot. Oh, nice feed. Down inside the shot good by Tom Brown. How about Howard McNeil so far? Watch this pass right now by McNeil. He looks one way. And he makes the pass the other. Look, he looks left, kicks it right. Here comes Brown along the baseline with the reverse layup. McNeil right there. 
Young hammered it back up and missed, and Calandrillo has the ball for Seton Hall to McNeil. Oh, what a feed to Ingram. Star of the game from our standpoint, Danny Siegel, the cameraman who just got you this shot. There's the pass from Calandrillo over to McNeil. McNeil with the left hand. What a pass inside to Ingram, cutting on a baseline. So that's just a little bit of the excitement that Howard brought to the early parts of that game. Later on, Howard had a lot of trouble with the law and such. But tell us, what kind of player was Howard? He was a special player. He really was. He knew the game. As you saw, he could see the floor. And so unique. I mean, at his size, playing the point guard, that was, that was nobody did that back then. A very, like Tommy said, a very special talent ahead of his time. Uh, 6'9", bow-legged. They said, uh, I remember the doctor saying, if he had regular legs, not bow-legged, he would have been 7'1". But uh, how he could do a little bit of everything. And he was very tough to guard. You, you couldn't put a, a quick guard on him because they post him up. You couldn't put a postman on him because you go around him. You know, he can hit jump shots, he can drive, he can shoot with either hand. Um, he, he was the whole package back then. Yeah, I think for me, you know, him and I were, were in the backcourt for four years, basically together and it took a lot of pressure off me because I Hardy and Raph were like hey do your thing and let Howard bring it up I said Howard I I'm okay with it and I think especially that Houston game moving Tommy to the backcourt with Howard you know six six and six nine guards and I was in the middle it, it was it was it was a phenomenal strategy that uh Hardy came up with but uh, again Howard you know God bless his soul but you know other than on the court he, he was he was rock solid I mean, just from looking at some of those clips, he's going behind the back effortlessly, you know, almost in a full court pass ahead mode. Vitale makes a comment in trying to create a comparison for the audience. And this is, you know, still early 80s, remember, but he makes a Magic Johnson comparison. Is he that far off in making that kind of assessment? Yeah, uh, he's pretty close. <laughs> and Tom, I think that's why you get that answer off the record. When you got somebody who is compared to a early 80s Magic Johnson, yeah, I, I think that person gets lost in the in the history and lore of great guys from Seton Hall. So anyway, let's move forward. That barrage by Howard puts Seton Hall up 25-18 midway through the first half. Danny, you came out hot. You had 12 points early in the game, but then decides to rally back and get out in transition. With a five-point lead. Tom Brown, top of the circle, no good. Off the side of the rim, and Rodney Parker has it for Houston. The Cougars could get back within three points here, and here comes Lyndon Rose. Hello, Lyndon. Six points, Lyndon Rose. Dan Calandrillo fakes. Good off-balance shot, but it won't go down. Nice soft touch headed on the rim, and the rebound belongs to Ryan Williams, Houston. Up comes Lyndon Rose. Rose taking command of the offense. Young. Michael Young has six, and Houston now with a five-point lead. I mean, this game turned around pretty quick. You know, you guys had this big lead early on by seven, and all of a sudden, they go on a 17-2 to two run. You got Lyndon Rose with 12 points on six of seven shooting. He basically didn't miss, and basically all of them were like 15- to 18-foot jump shots. But, Dan, you mentioned earlier, this is five slamma jamma, and I'm watching this entire game. They did not really get out in transition much in this game. Now, we didn't get a chance to really see them showcase that athletic ability of running up and down the court. You know, what allowed you guys to slow them down throughout this matchup? Probably because we were smothering them inside. Uh, you had Mike Ingram, myself, Dallas, or John Collins, Tommy coming down, um, Howard rebounding, Danny and they rebounding. We just didn't let them get the outlet quick enough to get out. We, they get the re defensive rebound, we're smothering them, and then we slowed them down a little bit, you know. But uh, we, we played them 10 more times. They beat us 11 times. They, 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 they were that good. 
We, we, we caught lightning in a bottle that game. Well, we also used our fouls quite a bit, Dan. <laughs> that was stressful. No, I believe what Danny. I believe what Danny said. They would have probably beat us eleven out of twelve. But that day, you know, I think we were prepared. We practiced hard. We had we had the team. That that was the year. That was our year. And I tough for me to talk about it. That was my last year. But great guys. We're still in communications all this time later. You know, Hardy. You know, it broke my heart that what happened but uh you know that was the game that really took us to another level like that style of play moving tommy back to in the backcourt danny was really aggressive mike ingram was just off the chart you know sir john was he there sir john did he play yeah, well, did he, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know we we really had a good base team and then when you lose three guys, you know, that, that's, you know, I won't the, the, go off on that. But, uh, you know, but that game was really, they came back, we came back. And, you know, Hottie was, you know, he was uh, strategic in just moving the ball. Look at the shot clock. We, If there was a shot clock, we probably took 20, 20 something seconds per shot. You know, I think that helped us. Well, that wasn't the only talent on the court for Houston. I mean, this guy wasn't getting out in transition, but we talked about it at the top of the show. There was a young freshman on that Houston roster, he was hampered with a back injury, but a young Akeem Olajuwon made an appearance for a few minutes that game. And Dan, we got him kind of matched up against you in the post a little bit here. Houston, a seven point lead in the basketball. Seton Hall, man to man. Inside they go, and that is Olajuwon. The seven footer from Nigeria who's in the ball game, but he walked with the ball. Villanova beat Boston College 97-75. First half of a doubleheader here at the middle last night. Shot good by Olajuwon, his first two points, the seven-footer from Nigeria. I wish we had more video than that, but that's basically the extent of Akeem's, you know, impact on the game due to his injury. Dan, you know, tell the audience, this is a young Olajuwon, future NBA Hall of Famer, back-to-back finals uh, champion in the NBA. Could you tell? I mean, was, was that kind of presence felt right there in those couple possessions? Well, I, I don't think it was hurt. I think he had his hands full. Dang, the uh, <laughs> big man down low. <laughs> it was your presence that caused the he trouble, got, right? He got uh, nervous. Absolutely. He had to shuffle his feet that first time he caught that ball, Dan. He never played against a Puerto Rican big man before. That's what it was. <laughs> no, but um, he, he was uh, very strong, very smooth, very agile. And I remember when he got the ball inside and he turned and, and he did the, uh, took the three baby steps and took off. I saw his waistband go across my eyes. And I'm like, oh, sugar. <laughs> and uh, next day he hit, hit a horn and Guy Lewis pulled the hook out and take him out. I'm like, thanks, coach, for getting him out. Let me, let me bang against Misha and, uh, and then Bunce. But um, it, it was all of them was so, so quick, so athletic and so smooth. It was, um, it, it, was, it was different than what we were used to, playing in the Big East, playing in, in the Northeast, where, where big, beefy guys, you're banging inside, black and bruised. Uh, inside kind of play. And I was kind of glad that he was out because I would have had my hands full if he played longer, but he, he knew that he had to battle with me. So, and, and I met him, I, I spoke with a team in the 96 Olympics. I worked in 96 Olympics and I talked to him. I said, uh, Keem, you remember uh, we played against each other back in, in 81? Oh, I played at Seton Hall. Ah, Seton Hall. <laughs> Good guard, very bad refs. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I got a picture of him, and it's like, wow, this, this it was so cool just being able to talk to him again and him remember him and like being like philosophical, oh, Seton Hall. Yes, good, 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 good guard. Probably meant, meant brownie, but uh, <laughs> very bad officials. So um, it was a home game. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Not according to the box score. You guys, you guys were the neutral team, according to the box score. 
Yeah, I don't know how much of a home game it was. I mean, you know, we had four fouls on McNeil. We had four fouls on Calandrillo. Uh, three fouls on Ingram. Tom Brown fouled out. I mean, I, I, I think that whistle was pretty straight through that game. That's the only way we slowed him down. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Dan, you mentioned Larry Mishaw coming back into the game, and you were happy. But Mishaw has, has a game. He's put in 27 that day. That Talk about that front court. Everybody's normally kind of talking about Houston running and, and jamming, but their entire front court was pretty loaded, no? Oh, big, big, strong, athletic. Uh, again, if we had maybe one guy – and, and, and per team in the Big East, that was like that inside. Like um, Villanova had Ed Pinkney, you know, that type of like. He's talking about two or three guys who were athletic, were big, they were bang. It's like these guys in the Midwest, they must feed them something different or something because we weren't used to it, but we, we we did what we had to do to slow them down. And, and a couple of well-placed elbows and a couple of well-placed forearms uh, does slow people down at times. Okay, well, right after that, Seton Hall seems to regain some of its mojo. It makes a quick run to get back into the lead. Oh, I like what I saw there. That was an excellent play. Nice pass by Mishaw, and the big guy demonstrated he can score inside. Double turnover here, and Calandrillo takes it in the lane behind the back to Ingram. Shot good. Foul call. Baskets going to count. Double turnover, and it goes in Seton Hall's favor as Ingram picks up his 11th point. Here it is. There's the steal by Calandrillo. He reaches in. There goes McNeil with the spectacular. He has a flair, charisma. Here comes Calandrillo. He's now under control. He goes around the back. Everything Seton Hall wants to do is Hollywood style. There goes Ingram up on a glass. Hey, they play Hollywood style, and Hadi Mahan will take that out. Of now, I'll just say this. The announcing for this game was not very good. And if you take a look at what Dick Vitale says here and compare it to what he says in the mid-90s where everyone's a PTPer, baby, and he's talking about high flyers, you guys did play with a flair. You guys did play with some fast speed. Tell us, Tom Brown, Danny Calandrillo, you're the guards that are moving this ball around. Did did Hardy ever try to kind of put the shackles on you with this quote-unquote Hollywood style? No, I I think that going into my senior year, Hardy was just play, man. You guys were all good. Like, I don't know how the other guys felt, but I, I never been so relaxed with a coach in my life that uh, – you know, just go do your thing, do the right thing, play to win. That's what we want to do. That year, that team was about winning. And whoever was hot, whoever got hot, you know. And I think even like you saw with Mike Ingram, you know, he was always square to the basket. You could always give it to him. You know, even like Tommy and Danny, right there, catch it short, the basket's in. It was. It, we, we were fortunate that Hardy kind of let us all play our own game. And each individually saw it. We all saw that, that if some guy got hot, that would just have to feed the hot guy. So, and I was just a sophomore, just trying not to screw up. So I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> when a coach, when a coach lets you play the way that you want to play, does that make basketball more fun? I mean, it always was when I was younger, just kind of doing your thing. But I mean, at that level, on that kind of stage, there's a double behind the back pass between you and McNeil running a fast break. Like Vitale's like basically saying, "I'm benching my guys if they do that," and you're sitting there, how do you going? Hey, have fun. Do your thing. Does that enhance the experience? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was definitely from the foundation from when we all got the scene hall. Raph kind of, you know, Raph was, look, we, we, we were the small school. We were the underdog. You had to win. Stress. It, it was it was high, high intensity level. 
But I think when Hottie took over, everybody took a deep breath and we all knew we could play. And that year was a special year for me because of with Hottie and Tommy and Danny and Steve Greco and Brooksy. And we just had like really, really just good people, Clark Young and Devereaux. And, and, you know, it didn't turn out the way I think everybody wanted it to be. But I think on the court, Hottie definitely let us play our game, which was you see the results. Yeah, we, we had fun. Hottie rolled the balls out and said, all right, here we go, fellas. Best five are going to play, and then everyone else is going to get that chance. Hardy had no preconceived notion to who could do what, what who, who was going to do whatever. <laughs> Rolled them out, show me what you got. We're going to go with the five best. Whoever's hot, we're going with them. And 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 we played hard for him. We was loose. We was loose. It was like well, there was some pressure, but not a lot of pressure. But we, we played hard for Hardy because we knew we cared about us, and we know we, we we cared about him. So we we played really hard for him because we didn't want to let him down. Totally agree with those comments. No, he was he was a pleasure to to, to play under, and uh, you know having the Danny, both Dannys as seniors, and in great leadership, and it was a lot of fun to play with. Great memories. All right, so you guys are now rallying back. This is a kind of seesaw matchup. You guys eventually take a ten point lead in this game with five forty five to play, but it wasn't all. The, the glitz and glamour that got you back in this game, there was a lot of still, you know, gutty, fundamental, hard-nosed basketball that Seton Hall still played in this game. And I want to take a couple looks at those plays right now. They're going to back the ball out, settle down and get a good shot there, forcing the action. Calandrillo steals it. Trying to get by Dickens, leaves it back to McNeil. The shot no good, and Tom Brown tips it in. Tom Brown has four, Seton Hall's up by six. Brown, Calandrillo, inside done, almost lost. Oh, what a block. Ryan Williams shot good by Dunn as he came back with it. Whistle blows, foul called. Are they going to count it? They are. Dan Dunn has six. All right, Dan, so this is my question for you. I mean, obviously, this is your Big East Player of the Year season, your senior season. You get third-team All-American accolades, and when people look back, they talk about you and they talk about the talent of Howard McNeil, but you know, there's a whole collection of talent on this team and, and guys that played their role, but guys that contributed at a high level. Talk about the teammates that are on this zoom call with you and, and some of the other guys that made this team so special. Well, I got to tell you, sometimes I, I am embarrassed that uh, I I'm very competitive. I wanted to win back then. Winning was everything to me. Tommy was a great teammate, tough guy. I've always tried to lead by example. You know, I'll go on the floor, I'll dive. And when Danny joined, I was like, look, you got to pound. I, I pretty much pounded everybody, which as I get older, I'm not really too proud of. But um, I think we had the kind of people, character, that I was able to do that. I, I was able to kind of say, hey, it wasn't about me. I was fortunate. You know, I had a good year that year. And, and it was all about winning doing the right thing to the university, doing the right thing to the teammates, uh, loving Hadi Mahan. You know, we all wish Raf well. We still love Raf. We talk to him all the time. But, you know, it was Hadi's year. And it was just, other than my dad, I think, and Raf, um, Hadi was right there with kind of the men in my life that, uh, you know, I'd be in the gym, shoot by myself. And he would come in and just sit there. And I'm like, coach, what are you doing? I just want to watch you. I think you got to work on your left. You got. He was just such a, an inspiration to me. It really was. that, uh, And it's tough for me to talk about it. But I, I think collectively, when we were on the court, 
even when we lost the three guys to grades, Tommy, Danny, Steve Greco, Rook, Brooksy, Sir John, Mike, no one gave up. And that's that's a sign of a character. That's your character. So and I can only say to those guys, yeah, I yelled at them. I was in their face a lot, but they're they're men of character and they still are. So I'm I'm uh, I'm the fortunate one. I see. I don't remember it that way from Danny. I just remember us all being competitive. So I don't remember, you know, we all wanted to win, but I don't remember Danny being hard, hard on us. Uh, so I think it's the way we all played and, uh, and probably pushed each other on that way. And, uh, when the three guys failed off, DC had to go into the phone booth and uh, put the cape on and come out and, and, and the uh, Superman, because we, uh, Tommy Brown and me, we had a nickname. We were the garbage men. You know, Danny would shoot, we get the rebounds and, and put, put the garbage in. You know, we put the rebounds and put them back in. We were, you, know, uh, you know, Danny never met a shot he didn't like, but he, <laughs> but, but he, had, he had to do it. Him and Mike Ingram carried us. And Mike Ingram is an unsung hero of that, of that year. Because without, without Mike Ingram, we're not in many of the games. Because we came, teams would, would key on Danny, double team him, put the quickest player on him, and the rest of us made to do the best we can. But Mike Ingram had so many skills as well that he kind of flew under the radar and he kept us in a lot of games. So we had uh, everybody, we had a good team chemistry. Hadi kept us loose. Mel kept us loose. Uh, Eddie Capola, the trainer we had, would uh, always, always be breaking us up and, and, and breaking our chops in, in, in practice and after practice and stuff. We, we wanted to do well. We got along well with each other. We played hard. Tough, tough Jersey and Long Island kids. And we, we weren't taking no for an answer. When we had Danny on last summer, he was describing his relationship with Hottie and how Hottie wanted to play going into that senior season. And there were times, Danny, where you were kind of describing how Hottie was like questioning your shot selection. You're like, no, I'm taking the shot. I come down, I see the opportunity. If it's a high percentage, I'm taking the shot. If not, I'll pass it. You're like, I pass it to Dan Dunn. You miss a layup, Dan, you're done. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... I mean, obviously, the, the team understood that, that Danny had that, as you said, Dan, the, the Superman, the yes on his chest, and he was going to carry the team most nights from a scoring load. But, you know, did everybody kind of fall in line in terms of understanding the role on the court when they played? Absolutely. I think so. I mean, we knew Dan Dan was the one make the score, definitely the score. He he had the big, the big set that would take the big shot, and uh, we, relied, we relied on him doing it. Just for reference sake, Dan Calandrillo wins – Biggie's player of the year that year. He ends up third team All-American. But I think Mike is minimizing the second clip in that last uh, little video there. Dan Dunn brings it hard to the hole, gets a shot block, regains composure, regains the ball, goes up, hits the layup, gets fouled, and, and then afterwards hits the and one. But Dan, great move, but a little bit later on in that game, Dan. We, we had something else happen, so let's go take a uh -oh. look at that right now. Which Danny you talking 70, about? 62 Seton Hall by eight. Houston needs two points right here. Michael Young inbounds the ball. Here comes Clyde Drexler against Dunn. Oh, he slammed it. It's going to count, and a foul has been called. Big play by Drexler for Houston. The Cougars within six could be five. Look at that big step. He's determined. He's made his mind. He's taken it to the goal. He wants it. He doesn't care who's going to get in front of him. He reaches back, lets it fly, gets it all. I mean, that is just super basketball skills. You can't teach any of that, Fred. But you know what's amazing? Where has it been for the last 30 minutes? Again, Dick Vitale's got to give this, like, backhanded compliment to Clyde Drexler. <clears throat> what a super set of skills. 
skills, but how come he hasn't played all that well this game? Oh, I can't stand it. So, Dan, what were you thinking when Clyde was going up there? First of all, I, th I thought he walked. I thought he walked up. <laughs> <laughs> Second is like, no, no, you're not, you know, you're not dunking on us. And then I'm coming down and he keeps going up. And I'm like, oh, sure, this ain't, ain't going to end well. But if you look closely, I didn't touch him. If you go, if you look closely and, and you get like the camera angles, I didn't touch, I just, I just missed him. And the referee was out of position, called me for a foul. Well, Elijah Wan yeah. did say good guards, bad refs. So maybe he had a point there. But, you know, Drexler was in foul trouble for most of this game. So the crowd really didn't get to see him display his talents. He only scored four points. As the announcers mentioned earlier, he had averaged uh, 11 and nine his freshman season. So there was a lot of skill there. But could you guys tell that he was a future NBA superstar in the making? I, I could tell that he was um, under range. Like, um, I don't think Guy Lewis let him play his game. So he was kind of like, uh, like the whole under, under range, like the horse, um, wouldn't let the horse run, so to speak. He, he was tough. He was tough. He was quick. He could jump. He could, he could shoot. I, I noticed he didn't show the clips when I took two charges on him. Forget him his four foul. We only have so much time, We only have so much time today. In our opinion, those were not Biggie's calls either. I mean, you know, a little soft there. Yeah, probably Northeast <laughs> Conference or something. But uh, no, all of those guys, even the guys on the bench that came in from Houston were tough. You know, those guys could have played in the Big East easily. The guys on the bench could have come and played with, uh, play for us. They were, they were that talented. We didn't understand it. We were just playing rough and tumble basketball that Heidi showed us. You know, Heidi was um, in the Navy in World War II, and, and he didn't, you know, take any – if they hit you, hit him back. Hit him back harder. We, we, and we, I really think playing in the Big East helped us out because you played with that type of player every time. So mm -hmm. I think that prepared us. So I think that was – it was a great conference, and playing against them I don't think was different than playing in a, in a conference game. So I, I could tell how good teammates you guys are because we play this clip and Tom and I are sitting there going, oh, DC and Tom Brown are just going to give it to Dan Dunn as, as this <laughs> dunk is getting thrown down on his head. I mean, no offense, Dan. I mean, the, that is like the definition of a posterized <laughs> dunk that you have like on your bedroom when you're growing up in the 80s there. Do you guys then come back and tease a guy like Dan post game after a play like that happens? Like what, what happens? Oh, I thought you were room? roasting him. I thought you were roasting him. You showed him get his shot blocked twice. You showed him get dunked on. Poor guy, we got to stick up with him. We were teammates, man. I'm on the danger field here. I got no respect. No respect at all. Let me tell you. Getting your shot blocked to me is not as big a deal as some people make it, but Dan kept going after the ball. The first block he had in the first play of the game, he regains a loose ball, zips a pass underneath, two points, streamers. This one, he gets his shot blocked. He grabs his own rebound, goes up for the end one. I'm all with you, Dan. Uh, you're, you're still my favorite pirate of all time. <laughs> he had a lot of practice doing that. Yeah, Kachowski, the check's in the mail, too. Right? <laughs> all right, let, let, let's bring this game uh, coming down the home stretch here. So a lot of back and forth. Houston eventually takes that momentum of that play, rallies back. They tie the game with three minutes to play. And as Tom alluded before, the, the fouls were piling up. Uh, Tom, you had already fouled out. At that point in the game, uh, Danny, you had four. McNeil had four. They started calling a lot of ticky tack, like you know, clearing out with your arm, your forearm for charges. All of a sudden, the 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 way the game was officiated down the stretch was night and day from the way it was being played early on. And there was a parade of free throws all of a sudden being shot by both teams. And both teams had chances to win this game from the line and just did not take advantage of that. You got Mark Ingram who finished with twenty two points. He misses a one-and-one one with under two minutes to play. 
Michael Young for Houston goes to the line with a pair and he misses both. And, and Tom and I are laughing because after he misses the first, his own coach calls a timeout to ice him. And then they come out of the timeout and he misses the second. Uh, and then Dan, you get a hard nose offensive rebound with 22 seconds to play. And unfortunately you miss a one and one So all of a sudden Seton Hall gets the ball with two seconds to play. A chance to get one final shot before overtime. And here's Hottie drawing up a play on the sideline before the eventual final shot. Well, the time now, two seconds. Seton Hall has the basketball. They'll have to move it three-fourths the length of the court. We're tied at 79. Seton Hall in Houston at the middle ends in East Rutherford, New Jersey. seconds left to play 79 79 tie Houston on defense Seton Hall with the basketball have to go three-fourths the length of the court they've got two seconds to do it could be closer to three or one depending on where the clock is sitting right now Devereaux will inbounds looking looking fires down court McNeil Ingram overtime all right but before we start dissecting that final play what the fans don't get to see is as you hear the announcers talking about Hottie drawing up the play in the huddle, he doesn't have a clipboard. I mean, I know Seton Hall was behind the times in terms of their facilities and their budgets, gentlemen, but he has a piece of chalk and he's drawing the final play on the actual hardwood of the court. Are my eyes deceiving me? Is that what really happened? Come on. Big East. We started the Big East. It was, I think I, I think Tommy and I used to wash our own uniforms, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, so that blew my mind, but, uh, and here's my next question. It's a pretty cool play, right? So there's the pass almost half court or, or from three quarters court all the way to the front court. McNeil goes up in the air, catches it in one motion, passes it over to Ingram who gets a wide open 18 footer and he just misses it to send it to overtime. Is that the play was, that was drawn up or was that an improvisation Right there in the moment. Jeez, I can't remember. Danny, can you? I, you know, what you Brad probably about? broke all the clipboards, so that's why we had to draw the floor. <laughs> yeah, there was no after after Raph left. There was no boards, no chalk, no cl- clipboards. But uh, no, Hottie was what I remember, and like Tommy said, I don't remember too much of that play. But I think he was ahead of his time with X's and O's. I really do. I it's not you know far to reach to think that he would come up with an idea like that. And you got to remember, he was nervous, too. I mean, that was like a big, big game for us. I think they were number one in the country at the time. I could be wrong. And if you if you, if you listen with Hardy, I'm having tears welling up my eyes, seeing Hardy and hearing him. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting I'm getting choked up. I'm like, wait, God, it's Hardy. And then seeing the, uh, the, the Congress we wore, too. You know, the old times. <laughs> but uh, if you looked at the video, they were fronting Danny. They were. They were fronting Danny, so... Guy Lewis got smart. They knew Danny was going to get the ball, so the, uh, Hardy probably used Mike as a decoy because you saw the, uh, the the other guy covering Mike gave him 15, 20 feet. You know, so Danny would, could have been a, probably a decoy. Uh, Devereaux got it to Howie, got it to Mike. Mike, I, I, I spoke to Mike a couple times over the years, and, and he still remembers missing that shot. He said, "I could have been, I could have been Danny Calandrillo. I could have been <laughs> Danny Calandrillo that game." Well, you know, it's a great play. It's a really good look. He doesn't miss by much. I mean. Ingram went 22-11 and 11 for the game, so it's not far to say that he could have been Danny Calandrillo for the minute over there. But, you know. but, he, but he didn't have 30 at that moment. Danny's got 30 at that moment. I, I'm probably shading Danny's way if I'm Guy Lewis as well. 
But if you do hear Hottie during when he's calling out that play, he is telling us he wants to get the ball down the court. So yeah, I think he did draw that play up just from sound the sound bite. So we go into overtime and Danny's trying to close us out as fast as he can. 115 left in the overtime period, 83-83 tie. I would take the last shot. I'd back this basketball out, make them come out of that zone. There's Calandrillo. He's going to take the shot. Baseline hits him. Calandrillo has 32. Seton Hall leads by two with 56 seconds to play. So again, back to Vital. I think if anything, he's showing why he wasn't coaching anymore and he was on the sidelines doing a little color commentary. He's talking about running the clock down with a minute eight left to play for crying out loud. I mean, that couldn't have been your thought right there, right, Dan? No, I, I think, you know, Hottie's thing was always like, take the shot that you can make, you know? And for Tommy, for me, for Danny, for kind of like everybody on the team, it was, if you can make that shot, then you should take it, right? Um, which now coaches, you know, you're in this, you take this shot, you take this range, this is your range. But I think as you see that game, the way we worked the ball, we were pretty patient. I don't think anybody, I felt, that I was going to take the shot eventually. Uh, but <laughs> I think it was going to come down to what, you know, the shots that I could make. My range was 15, 18. It wasn't like kids today. Um, but I think Hottie instilled in us to make sure that you can take a shot and make sure you can make that shot. All right. Now, so, now you make, oh. you make a comment, your range was 15 to 18 foot, not like the kids today. I, I often have this debate. My debate is great shooters are going to be great shooters. And if you, I think if you would have, had the older generation practicing from those longer uh, distances, I think those longer distances are, are, are money, especially for shooters like yourself, maybe like a Nick Gallus, if we're going a little bit further back. I, I'm just thinking this was your set of rules. This is how you were playing. Yeah, it's fair to say. I mean, I went to Europe. I had a good career there in Italy, and there was a three, and I kind of I did all right with that. But – I think for the time of my senior year, you know, there was why shoot out there. And if it's too, uh, I can just shoot a little jumper, you know, it, it kind of didn't make sense. So there was no analytics to say that three feet further back got you an extra point. So am I <laughs> taking a shot three feet further? Exactly. Back? Anyway. All right. So, so Mike Young comes down for Houston and hits a baseline jumper to immediately tie the game. And now we're tied at 85, 85. And I still think there's just a little bit of, you know, under a minute to go on the clock. And here's Seton Hall with possession again, looking to set up a final opportunity. Now Seton Hall will play for the last shot. Calandrillo may be the man to take it. May 20 get a seconds timeout. left in the overtime. Hottie may get a timeout when it gets down to about eight to set something up. 15 seconds left in the overtime. 85-85 tie. Seton Hall has the ball. Oh, he's going to let it Gun. go. Calandrillo, six no. seconds left. Jumper, good! And there's your Vitalis most valuable player, Dan Calandrillo, who just rang the bell for his 34th point of the night. Three seconds left, Seton Hall up by two. All right, so before I get into my question here, if, if you can't really hone in on it, as Danny's taking the shot, there's Vitalis. He says no. Again, going, no, no! 
come on. You got 32 points. You just hit the go-ahead bucket, the possession before, and he's calling you out for, for bad shot selection? And then if, if we were to come back from that clip after you come running over to hug Hottie, he's sitting there breaking down your final play going, and Calendrill dribbles to the right. He takes an off-balance shot. That's a horrible shot, but good for the kid it went in. <laughs> you can't, I, I, unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Uh, all right, so you run over to give Hottie a hug, and there's just a pure raw emotion that's coming across the TV screen. For you and the rest of the guys, describe that moment after that bucket. I think, like what Danny said, it's tough. You know, you, after all these years, you, you just uh, – you know, you try your best as an athlete to do the best you can. And I just, you know, glor- I want to glorify him more than me and the team. I think it was all about him then. And uh, it, it was, for me, when I look back at these clips, which I rarely do, it's pretty emotional for me. But I got to say that, you know, to play with a bunch of great guys, to have a great coach, you know, see how Seton Hall has grown from when we were there and how kind and nice they are to us now. It's just, uh, you know, you just feel good about you made the right choice of going to Seton Hall, you know? You did see who got the assist on that, right? <laughs> see, Danny, that's what you do. You pass the ball to somebody who can make the shot. <laughs> you, would draw, you would draw on the triple team, Big D. Hey, yeah. just, and then you gave it off so you could have an open <laughs> shot. They, they were afraid he was going to turn around for 15 feet and face up and drain it. Yeah, yeah I would have bricked it. Well, irony upon irony, Fred White then names Dan Calandro the Vitalis player of the game as Dick Vitalis screaming no into the microphone. But we had uh, we had a lot of great numbers here to go over. I'm going to use the official box score that Dan Dunn sent me. Mike, Mike uh, did a great job of uh, watching this game and creating his own box score, but he's a little... He's a little happy with some stats, so I'm going to go with the with the official stats for the game. Mike Ingram goes 22 and 11, like we previously mentioned. Howard McNeil nine points, nine assists, six boards. Dan Dunn finishes with seven points, five boards, and one assist. The game-winning <laughs> assist. And, and, thank you, thank you, thank you. And to give Tom Brown his proper credit, Tom Brown scores five, grabs five boards, and a lot of great, a lot of great plays in this game. Lots of excitement. Houston had a heck of a box score too. Larry Michonneau, twenty-seven points and ten rebounds. Michael Young had sixteen points. Lyndon, Lyndon Rose had fourteen himself. Man, it was just. A, Are you a, gonna give him Danny's stat line? Are you gonna give him Danny's oh, stat line? Did I, oh my goodness! How do you forget Danny's stat line? 30, Come on! Thirty-four <laughs> points, four rebounds, three assists, and most importantly, the Vitalis player of the game. This this was an exciting game to watch. Like I said earlier, forty years later, I'm watching this game and I'm cheering it on. I'm screaming. It's having a lot of fun, but. You know, it seemed like this type of win could have really springboarded the team off to a great season. But as we mentioned, later that season, Howard McNeil, Daryl Devereaux, and Clark Young were kicked off the team due to academic ineligibility. You know, what kind of team could have this been? How successful could it have been if not for losing these players? Well, I think Danny DC had said it earlier that uh, we could play with anybody back then. And I think we had a real shot at, uh, at, at winning the Big East that year and, and going further on. I mean, it was it was a special team, as, as these guys have said. Well, um, I, I think 
if we would have won, if the guy, the, the, those three guys stay, we go at least NIT, at least NIT, probably on what they call now the bubble. But back then, there wasn't 155,000 teams in, in the NCAA. So There's only 32, <laughs> you know. So we would have probably have gone NIT, and then we probably would have made some noise because we would have had a couple of home games and then hopefully have gotten to the garden because uh, we had a very strong team. The starters were, were, were solid. We had a good bench. Those, those those guys fell off. The bench starters now have to step up. Everybody moves up, you know, three places, and then we did the best we could. Even uh, we almost beat Georgetown at our place that year. We almost beat Villanova at our place that, that, uh, this year. We lost by two and one. Uh, Danny went, went, was going was going crazy, beating the hell out of everybody. Buzzer beaters galore, and uh, you know we had we had the bull by the horn, so to speak, at that time. We had the right coach, the right people, the right situation, and for some reason uh, the school made name those three guys academic academically ineligible, which they did not have to do until after the, the after the spring semester. Yeah, you know, I think that like I agree with Tommy. I think we would have we would have made a run in the NCAA. We would have definitely went further without and I think about it all the time. But I think you gotta have the right coach, like Danny said, you gotta have the right kind of players. Everybody bought in. You know, no one everybody had a role, even me, I had a role. It was kind of like, you know, Hottie it was just like do it. It wasn't where he didn't like micromanage anybody. And, you know, especially with me, I was having a good year. I was feeling it. And he was just like, do it, but do it on, we want to win. I don't care if you score 50 and we lose, it doesn't help us. So I think that year, great guys. I mean, we still all talk Danny, Tommy and I, Steve Greco, Brooksy. You know, I think it's when we get together, it's more, it's kind of living the year before all of that happened, to be honest with you. For me in my life now, I live it to one of those three guys were ineligible. And and I don't think about it after that because it was it was a hard year after that. So so regardless of the lack of postseason success that that team was able to go on and accomplish, you guys are still going to hold a special place in the hearts for both Seton Hall fans because you guys at this point were ushering in the Seton Hall representation in the Big East as it's kind of first coming on the scene. So, you know, people didn't think Seton Hall belonged. And here you guys are, you know, winning games of this magnitude and representing the program. How special of a place is it in your hearts to know that when people look back, you guys kind of started it all? We, we, we laid the foundation of what Seton Hall is today. Because uh, Danny can tell you, um, coming into the league, uh, well, um, it, it was tough because we, we automatically lose games that we, we could have won. We lose Army, we lose um, Wagner, we, we lose uh, Canisius. Then we got to play St. John's twice, Syracuse twice, Georgetown twice, Boston College twice. It's like, all right, so it's kind of stacked against us, but we're going to do the best we can. And then and Danny can probably tell the story about when Raph told him in the summer about joining the conference. Yeah, I, I you know, I think that year was, was a stepping stone for Seton Hall, but, you know, every team prior says the same thing. But, um, I think we had the right guys. We all bought into Hottie's kind of style. You know, I remember when Raf told me, I'm like, Raf, why are we going into that league? We can't even, you know, survive in our own league. <laughs> but, you know, and the bar is always lifted. And this, the school itself, perfect example of lifting the bar, raising a bar where they are now. I mean, Seton Hall now is in contention every year. I like to say that the team, this team and, and these players, we were all part of it, which is a nice 
it's a nice feel. Raph would tell stories about, you know, going back after games and still practicing that night. You told us that story, Danny. So there was this mentality that Seton Hall wanted to belong, not didn't want to lose by 40. And eventually you guys would start winning these games. Was that just the brotherhood and the mentality of, hey, we're here and we're here to stay? Seton Hall is not going away. We're not going to be the doormat of the Big East. I, I think for me, I don't know about Tommy, but like coming from Hudson County, you know, I, I had a, you know, it wasn't easy on my childhood, but I, I was always a fight. So if there's going to be a fight, I want to be in the fight. Um, and that's why I went to Seton Hall. I liked the underdog. I really liked Hardy and I liked Raph a lot also. Richie Regan, Sue Dilly, Jimmy Lamparello. I mean, you got legend, legendary people at Seton Hall. Wes was on, you know, Eddie Capola. You know, Mike was on manager. We had, we had, everybody was like solid, you know. Was you left really- one thing out, Danny. You said you wanted to be in the fight. You wanted to win the fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I've got one final question to wrap up the podcast. You guys have been great. We can't thank you enough, but where was the post-game celebration? Which bar did you guys go down to? Oh my God, that was never a problem. <laughs> it, it was on campus back then. Oh. Yeah, probably the pub, but uh, I think I went to the library. I had a turntable due the next day, so I was probably <laughs> over there or over in chapel saying my prayers. Howdy probably had you running suicides, Danny. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I never forget it. We, we were in the locker room, and Hadi was just, he was just out of control. He was, I'd never seen a man happier than that guy that game. It was it's such a joy of a great memory, you know? Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this. This has been a fantastic time to be able to relive uh, the 40th anniversary of this game with you guys. We can't thank you enough. We wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, Thanks you guys. guys. Thanks, Danny. See you, Tommy. Tom, See you guys. Thanks See you, so much for doing everything. Guys, be good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Elcos Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.